Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined once again by the man himself. He is caved in online, Daniel Schrieber, still coming to us from Taiwan. What is going on, my friend? Yo, yo. Good to be here, David. Long time no see. Yeah, we are uh, continuing our long journey through the spoilers season here. They basically spoiled, you know, 90% of the set in two weeks. Uh, we have <laughs> struggled gamely to try to complete it in our previous two episodes. Hopefully today we, uh, we sum up the mountaintop. I didn't think there was going to be that much to discuss in this set. First half of the week was pretty underwhelming, at least I thought. And yet, these cards are like weirdly compelling. Maybe it's just because they're different, they're playing a new design space, they did drop some pretty enticing ones in the last couple days. We made it through the twos in our first episode, and then we made it through, I think, about half of the fours last time. Typically, that's about where the playables stop. Although, in this episode, we're going to pick up with the fours, and I'm actually like somewhat optimistic for a few of these. Uh, they look fun, at least. So nice job to the design team by giving us things to chew on. Yeah, and, and sort of historically in Pioneer, four mana is where you kind of tap out on your curve. Uh, you really only can play, you know, a handful of five drops. So four is kind of the the, the power level, right? Where you, where you want the most powerful four drop you can. It's competing with things like Enigmatic Incarnation. It's competing with things like uh, Wrath of God. It's competing with things like Shieldred, so... Yeah, when you put it that way, okay, none of these fours are actually going to make it, but they're still fun, nevertheless. <laughs> Maybe this set review is the only time we get to think about them, so we gotta, we got to give them their moment in the spotlight. So that's our plan of attack for today. We'll just try to get through the rest of the set, um, and then maybe take a step back and try to sort out what actually matters from all these cards. Before we dive into all that, just a friendly reminder that if you're enjoying the program and would like to support what we do, you can head on over to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. That's where you can make a pledge at any tier you like that goes and helps support the show. Also gets you access to our wonderful Discord community, where these cards, if it's going to get cracked, uh, well, <laughs> I would say it's going to get cracked there first, we'll at least be chattering about it. You'll have plenty of interlocutors to figure out uh, how to crack the case. And we do have one new patron to welcome today, that is Arcane Mainframe. Thank you very much for your support. Yeah, so shall we get to the remnants of Mirza Karlov Manor? Yes, indeed. All right, I said we finished the twos, but that's never quite true. There's always one or two more two drops. Late breaking two drop, break out. Red green sorcery. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them. If that card has mana value two or less, you may put it onto the battlefield and it gains haste until end of turn. If you didn't put the revealed card onto the battlefield this way, put it into your hand. The rest go on the bottom in a random order. Okay, so it's two mana sorcery speed, top six cards, any creature either goes into your hand or into play if it's cheap enough. I guess technically you have the option to not cast a cheap creature, but that's probably not going to happen. I have actually seen a card like this before. Like we've seen cards that, you know, look at your top five or whatever and get one or two creatures. And those are more like card selection, maybe card advantage. This one's not card advantage, but it's some combination of selection 
uh, if we're treating the top six as not just desperately hoping not to whiff, but actually giving us a choice of multiple creatures or digging towards an important creature, you can think of this as almost like mana neutral card selection for, for important cheap creatures. At least that's what I'm hoping to see here. And then on top of that, uh, your creature gets haste, which may or may not be relevant. So to me, this looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we've played Collected Company, so we have cast cards that look at our top six and find cheap creatures, right? So we know uh, what those decks look like in theory. This is even more restrictive, though, because if you're not putting it into play, this card is totally unplayable. So you're really looking for a huge bolus of creatures that cost two or less, correct? You have a note here, um, possibly useful in Devoted Druid. And I think that's the kind of deck you need to target, right? Devoted Druid and the other creature that combos with it are both two-mana creatures. When you're saying we're hoping that this is a selection piece and we're hoping just not to whiff, that means we're playing, in my opinion, at least 23 two-drop creatures. Now, that is a huge number of creatures, much more than any current deck in any format plays. Pushing back on that slightly, Collected Company requires two creatures to not be a disaster, right? This does not, right? This only requires one hit. So I could lower that number down to 20 or even 18, maybe, without having actually crunched those numbers. Well, I, I have the numbers up in front of me. I have a hypergeometric <laughs> calculator. 23 creatures, mm -hmm. we have a 96% chance of hitting. Yes. So you tell me what percent chance you can live with of just casting two mana miss. 90. All right. Continue talking and I'll let you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I want a 90% chance. So what is that? 20 creatures? 21 creatures? Uh, 18. Okay, 18. Yeah, exactly. Second point is it doesn't have to be two drops, the whiff scenario where you find a three or a four drop, it still goes to your hand. It wasn't a total disaster. That's not that much worse than Aladamri's call. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you still got something out of okay. it. You, you still did like a gather the pack sure. without um, spell mastery. So I don't think it's, it has to be all two drops. Yeah. So you have to play a ton of creatures and a huge majority of them need to be two drops. If you ever miss a creature on this, you've, you, you have lost the game. So you, there's some percentage chance if you aren't playing like 25 creatures, period, of, of any casting cost, that you, this is just two mana sorcery and lose the game. I think that's a bit harsh. Look at the upside. I think at 25 creatures total, 25 creatures total, I think it's at like 97%. So that's probably where I'd want to be. Um, and like you say, maybe only 18 of them have to be two mana. The rest can be any mana cost that you like. Uh, and then, yeah, this is a two mana with a 3% chance of losing the game. But to your point can, at that point, we'll be much more likely to see multiple creatures and give you some selection. And then haste is relevant. It's, it's relevant with devoted druid. It's relevant with, uh, you know, a handful of other creatures we can imagine. Well, yeah, just on the devoted druid deck, you'll probably also have Stoneforge mystic. So that suddenly becomes like a very dangerous play. The haste on Devoted Druid is what lets the deck just win, right? That's why they played that terrible post-mortem munch card. Similarly, a hasted Stoneforge Mystic is just like suddenly, you know, four mana, you spend two on Breakout and suddenly you have Caldra, right? And that, that's, that's pretty dangerous. I think that's worth it. Um, obviously, this is going to be stretching into red for the first time. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty high on this, maybe naively so. 
I do also like in a modern deck that you can you start fetching lands out of your deck. Stoneforge Mystic on maybe on two mana fetches out um, an equipment. So you're actually like tweaking your odds subtly throughout the game, right? You, you remove a couple extra lands, you remove your um, whatever equipment, and now your, your odds are like a lot more intriguing, right? Every time you remove a non-creature or a non-two-drop creature, your future breakouts are better and better. Yeah, that's a great point. If we're thinking about Pioneer, are there any creatures, mana cost two or less, that really benefit from gaining haste? Um, Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fibblethip <laughs> draws two cards. <laughs> and gets in there for one. <laughs> and gets in there for one. I think you need to be doing something unfair with this. Um, I, I don't think you just want to play this as like a value card, so... Okay. Rona combo, maybe. I mean, but Rona combo plays like very few cheap creatures. Yeah, true. I mean, ideally it would be something that is base red green and that's uh, kind of hard to find. Yeah. And then like 80 or hits her elves. And this is not actually a good card if it hits a, a mana elf. Mm. You get the mana back right away. Cause it's got haste. <laughs> true. All right. So a good, good thinker, a good divisive card to start off <laughs> today's set review. Up next, another two drop translated here as observant onlooker. It's one in a black creature, vampire one, three flying activated ability two black, black exile, observant onlooker from your graveyard, create two tapped one, one black bat creature tokens with flying. I think this is called Leering Observer. I think that's the actual translation. Leering Onlooker. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right, so what do you like about this one, David? I don't know that I like it. I just think this card is a lot closer to Lingering Souls than people have sort of acknowledged, and there is no Lingering Souls equivalent in Pioneer. There's very few cards you can just straight up discard for value later. Um, we have a, a handful of cards, you often mention them, that pay for abilities so it's you know relatively easy to put this in some kind of blue black list with those where we're you know discarding this to something uh, we i don't know what that would be at this time and we're just turning it into you know making a bunch of tapped uh, black bats as, as a value card um maybe in some kind of soren deck you know we often have some looting effects built into there this is a fine card to loot away uh into later you know, turn into bats or to sacrifice a sword and then turn into bats. So I just think this, this ability from the graveyard is actually pretty unique, right? Two flying one ones is not something you just get for free from a card in the graveyard and in pioneer. And it's at least worth thinking about. There is another card that does this. It's from shadows over Innistrad. I think it's white. It's three and a white for a three, one lifelink. And then the activated ability is two in a white to make two flying spirits. Although you have to do it at sorcery speed. Yeah, sorcery speed. And the front half is like not usable. It's like not a card. But the back half, if that's what we're looking for, I would go to that one first. I mean, that's uh, near Heath Chaplin, I think it's called. Mm. So yeah, maybe this card already exists or close enough. Um the front side is a little more interesting because it can power up the looter scooter. So whereas before it'd be totally useless, it actually can um, pump that up. And then in a deck with 
the scooter, you can chuck this into the graveyard very easily. And it's a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a few little things about it that are maybe worth thinking about. But Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's probably closer to being playable than, than your Heath Chaplin is. Nice addition. All right, anything else from the twos? Anything new or anything that we skipped last time? We're officially done with the twos. We're, we're moving on from the twos. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we allegedly finished the threes last time, although, uh, as is our fashion, we'll add one more three real quick. Audience with Tristani. Two and a green sorcery. Create a zero one green plant creature token. Then draw cards equal to the number of differently named creature tokens you control. So this is all getting resolved at once. There's no window for them to kill the plant. So you can think of this as a guaranteed plant plus draw card. And then for every extra named token you have, you're going to be drawing a bunch of cards, potentially. If I'm just drawing two cards off this, I think that's not quite good enough. Three cards? It's getting interesting at three if I'm drawing three cards. Although cards like that typically don't really see play either. I don't know. What's your threshold here, David? I mean, a, a three-mana sorcery that makes an 0-1 and draws three cards is is an insane card. I don't know why you keep saying that three mana for three cards is not good. It's it's That's a crazy rate. <laughs> Where is your evidence for that? I mean, which which decks? <laughs> it sounds like a bad black-white Yorian mid-range deck. Like Treacherous Blessings or Read the Bones or Painful Truths or whatever. Yeah, but all those cards cost life and don't give you a body. And you have to do something. Like, you have to sacrifice that enchantment after it's in play. You have to play all these other cards. Like, this is giving you something. An 0-1 plant is not a lot, but it's something, right? It blocks. Uh, at, at minimum, it can, you know, end up uh, holding equipment or something. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a deck is going to want to go, like, turn one, Thraben Inspector, I don't know what the turn two play is. It's giving us another token. And then this. So those are all like reasonable cards you'd, you'd want to play anyway. Uh, maybe the four drop in that deck is um, Asika's Chariot, right? So that's a wolf token in, in the late game. This can There's another token that it sees. Cat token. Yeah, and, and worth noting that this only counts creature tokens. So the clue will not count. Um, you need to come up with something else. Oh, if it, yeah. Okay, if it's creature token, then I'm... I'm not interested. I apologize for everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it'd be if you could just like blood food clue, that would be amazing. But no. Yeah, well, and those are also like a lot more resistant to removal. That's the thing. Like to your point, okay, you get the plant and you draw. That's great. But you want tokens that are resistant to fatal push. But yeah, if they see you cast it, normally they don't care about uh, you know, whatever spirit token you have in play. But if it's gonna draw you a card, then they'll just kill it. So Agreed. Well, that's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize to our listeners. I wish I could give you back the last 70 seconds of your life. (laughs) And with that, we go back to the fours. We got about halfway through the fours, but a really exciting one was previewed just after we recorded that episode. Reenact the crime. Reenact the crime. One blue, blue, blue instant. Exile target non-land card in a graveyard that was put there from anywhere this turn. Copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Okay, so this is actually a a, a space we don't see too often. Casting copies of cards, and it doesn't actually care what 
card type it is, uh, just any non-land. So you end up casting a copy of an instant or sorcery, it's like a one-time effect. If you end up casting a copy of a permanent spell, you just get a, a token version of that permanent, I believe is how that works. And you can do this from either player's graveyard. So it can be your card, can be their card. Where do we even start with this, David? That's the thing that makes this so crazy is it can be just a straight up graveyard hate piece, right? We just sit there with our four mana up, our Phoenix opponent casts whatever, loots away a Phoenix, and in response to the trigger, we exile the Phoenix and get one, right? So that's already just a base level against one of the better decks in the format. With the card Thoughtseize, you can just get whatever. If they have a Trax in their hand, you just Thoughtseize it away and then cast this the same turn. Um, and that's not even speaking of if you build your deck, right? You have Fable, you untap, you're going to untap into four mana. You discard whatever, your own Atraxa, uh, C beyond, uh, whatever the, the 10 mana enchantment is. I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever your winning card is, you just put it in your graveyard and reenact the crime. Turn four. I mean, we don't have turn four resurrection effects. This can get any permanent, uh, any planeswalker. Um, you could play it maybe even in the like, um, like torrential gearhawk shells, where you know you discard the eight mana instant for two mana to make a treasure. So functionally, you just pay one extra mana. You can just do it that all for five mana. You just do that at, the, at your end step. Oh wow, I didn't think of that. Okay, so there's, there's a lot in what you just said that didn't even occur to me. And I've been thinking about this card quite a bit. Um, a lot of people in our Discord are proposing different things to do with it. For me, I was thinking the key is to like put something into the graveyard without spending mana on it. Cars don't typically put themselves in the graveyard for free, and if, if we have to spend mana to like mill or sack of blood or something, then this is no longer truly a four drop. You know, it's a five or a six mana play or something, and then it's like not quite as good but I, I hadn't really considered if i only need to spend one mana that's still fine like that thought seize line you're talking about thought seizing them sounds great you could also just thought seize your own attraction like if you built your deck that way and that's still like a decent play not an amazing play but it's a, it's a decent play <laughs> uh the magma opus line is very sweet uh, that starts to sound doable at, at five mana um and then the fable line is just exactly on curve with fable which is fantastic yeah it's at instant speeds you in modern you can actually hit the good emrakul right um yeah so i'm sure people will do, be doing that with the stupid uh food package yeah that's with the cast trigger it works the way you want yep. it to with tibolts and valky um, when, when you're casting the copy of it you choose whichever side you want uh, so you'll get a token copied version of tibolt if you somehow kill your Valky. Uh, also that 8-8 eight, eight, uh, artifact with that uh, turns stuff into a 1-1, one, one, excuse me, uh, uh, what do they call it, a Power Stone. That's a cast trigger as well, so it'll work with, with Reenact the Crime as well. Yeah, I think this card is really good. I mean, in Pioneer, the thing holding it back is the blue, right? Like, oh, I see. You're going to want to combine it with red or black. Those are the cards that have the cheap interaction. So you typically, your deck is privileged towards black or privileged towards red in those shells. Um, you just need to play a, a, a slightly more punishing mana base to incorporate this card. What I find so fascinating is that if you're just thinking of this as a straight reanimation, instant speed, zombify, makeshift mannequin type effect, it's already 
the best in Pioneer, right? You don't really get four mana reanimate something. You definitely don't get it at instant speed, and you certainly would not expect it to be triple blue. That's just for getting creatures back. But the fact that it also works with non-land permanents and with instants and sorceries, it's just like the whole world is open to you. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, you can get uh, Omniscience off of this. You can cast an Emergent Ultimatum off of this. You can cast Valky Tibalt. Uh, you can enter the infinite on end step with this and then win on your turn with Oracle. Um, like, how, how big are we trying to go? I mean, I hate uh, a lot of those other cards because they require you have a bunch of other cards. <laughs> like, I hate having to succeed at doing my thing and then it's like, oh... I have my enchantment lets me play all my spells for free, but I didn't draw the spells I wanted to cast for free. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you, you want to go too crazy because your man is going to be pretty apt to cast this and you need to play interaction. So there's a really cool core of a deck that you can, you can build that uses Enigma Jewel with that artifact that I was trying to sell you on, Collector's Vault. A brewer named the Big Mamu uh, in, in our Discord, who's been posting some sweet deck lists and videos of, uh, I think, mostly historic gameplay. But the concept is like Enigma Jewel. What if we could just turn that into a mana source, like into real mana? And in historic, you get a couple different lands that do that. You get like Interplanar Beacon, the one that casts Planeswalkers, like a filter land. And then historic also has that Lord of the Rings land that is like a filter land for legends. Um, Great Hall of Citadel, I think it's called. But then the, the really slick line is turn one Enigma, Enigma Jewel, turn two Collector's Vault. That's two mana to loot and make a treasure. Um, and just like between those three, there was, I think, enough stuff for the Enigma, Enigma Jewel to do um, to like make it just like a mana booster. I was wondering if like that core is also how you want to power up Reenact the Crime. Yeah. It's either that or just like straight up Rona or something. Something like have like a free loot in play. Yeah, it's certainly uh it's certainly a powerful shell what you just outlined. Um and it allows you to do it on turn three, right? I think so, yeah. I mean do it, that's the question. But yeah, again there I would want to play something like an Atraxa or something like the Torrential Gearhulk thing. I don't want to play a ten mana enchantment that's only good if I specifically have reenact the crime. Okay, so Magma Opus, that, that makes sense. All right, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. I'm in. Sounds great. All right, what's next? All right, Barbed Servitor. Three and a black for an artifact creature construct. Indestructible when it enters the ba battlefield suspected, so it has menace and it can't block. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card and you lose a life. And then when it's dealt damage, target opponent loses that much life. So we've seen effects like this before. We've seen Stuffy Doll. Um, there's another red card like that as well. Mm -hmm. This is the first one that actually just draws cards while it's in play. So if you play it on turn three, we've got some way to accelerate it out. Let's just say Marauding Raptor. That seems pretty sweet. Um, all of a sudden, if we're playing a combo deck, this at least helps us find the second half of the combo. I do think you do want to play this card in an unfair way, maybe with some kind of damage sweepers. Uh, maybe you're main decking cards like Roast, right, which are very playable against the format, but are awesome if you need to like go against this thing and, and go face to your opponent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a four mana Phyrexian Arena, but it does the damage to both of you. And then if they ever want to block it, if they have to block it with two creatures, they all do their damage to Barb Servitor, 
um, which means they take a ton of damage. So the, this card is like a build around. It's probably not quite good enough, but it's a really unique combination of abilities we haven't seen on a card before. So Stuffy Doll, you would typically only play that if you were intending to combo kill them. This, I think the same will hold true. Suspect on a 1-1 one, one for four is just like so punishing. <laughs> It's like they just ignore it, right? You can't block with it. Uh, they probably can't even block. So it's, it's I guess, a form of a howling mine. I, I think we have enough evidence now that that's just not a thing you should try to do in Constructed. So it's more like you're saying that the drawing extra cards is, is a backup plan for while you're waiting for the combo to come together, whatever the combo is. Well, the drawing the extra cards helps you find the combo. That's, that's the thing that makes this interesting to me. I mean, by the time you've drawn extra cards plural it's turn six turn seven is i don't know it's just so slow but yeah it is sweet well yeah you're gonna you're gonna want to accelerate it out you're gonna want to play this turn three there's a there's a bunch of different ways to do that uh marauding raptor being the most attractive um and then you can play a bunch of damage sweepers so you're you're not going to be in danger of getting overrun by creature decks you can just play all of them you can play a ton of them there's one we're going to talk about in a second that's actually really good with this card i think okay i'm with you uh up next case of the locked hothouse <laughs> three and a green enchantment case you may play an additional land on each of your turns to solve you control seven or more lands. Once the case has been solved, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play lands and cast creatures and enchantment spells from the top of your library. This is the most generous of the future sight type effects once it's solved. Before it's solved, it does almost nothing. I mean, I guess technically... Amulet could do this. Getting to your turn four, it is very unlikely you are going to have extra lands to play. <laughs> You'd almost need to be a modern deck with the balanced lands. I yeah. I don't think Amulet's like looking to pick this up. Like I could be wrong, I suppose. No. <laughs> I'm guessing this is just a straight miss. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like this space is interesting. I know people like to play with this in like casual formats as well. Like it's just so bad. Uh, we already have a four-mana card that just goes and finds two lands. So the fact that this doesn't do anything, it's like, why am I not just playing that thing? And then at seven mana, at the end of the turn, this gets solved. So you still don't even get it that turn you play your seventh land. You have to wait. Whereas you could just cast a Traxa or you know whatever your seven-mana payoff is. Maybe this is just like a baller commander card. Like it's super greedy. Eventually you'll solve it. And you can just go nuts. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm sure. Like, whatever. Just one of the one of the ninety nine. All right. Next up, our lone planeswalker of the set, and a pretty confusing card. I've read this a couple times. I still don't quite get it. It's Kaya Spirits Justice, two white black, so four mana total for a three loyalty planeswalker, with a fairly complicated static ability and then three loyalty abilities. Starting with the loyalty abilities, uh, there's a plus two, a plus one, and a minus two. So not a true ultimate there. Plus two is surveil two, then exile a card from a graveyard. Plus one, create a one, one white and black spirit creature token with flying. Minus two, exile target creature you control. For each other player, exile up to one target creature that player controls. 
Uh, okay, so why is this even interesting? Well, it's a static text. The static text says, whenever one or more creatures you control and or creature cards in your graveyard are put into exile, you may choose a creature card from among them, that is, from among the ones that were exiled. Until end of turn, target token you control becomes a copy of it, of the creature that you exiled from player from your graveyard, except it has flying. Okay, so that's a temporary copying. You turn one token of any type that you already control into a creature that you control that you exiled from player from the graveyard. It is very, very strange. So just then going back to the loyalty abilities, that plus two that surveils two and exiles one from your graveyard, that would give you a one-turn clone effect. Um, the minus two, where you essentially trade one of your creatures for one of theirs, you, you exile one of your creatures, exile one of theirs, that also lets you turn one of your tokens into a copy of the thing you exiled. And then the middle ability just creates a 1-1 flying token to give you something, some fodder, essentially, to receive this ability. Yeah, I love this design. This is one of the better design Planeswalkers of all time, I think. Um, will it be good enough? The problem, of course, is that at four mana, you can play a lot of powerful cards, as we talked about. Uh, I think the important thing to note is you don't have to target creature tokens with this one. <laughs> Double check that one. You definitely don't. So in a deck that wants to play a card like a Thraben Inspector, you just have a clue token like hanging out that you get to turn into other stuff throughout the game. Um, I don't think you want to go all in with like an Emrakul or some of those kind of things because you need so many moving parts, right? You need a token in play. You need a way to exile the Emrakul. You need them to not kill the token. Then you need to get an attack in. Um, but cards like Charming Prince um, or like a Graveyard Trespasser or things like that where you've got a lot of like native exile happening is I think something worth exploring. Also, just like Kaya Plussing as like a graveyard hate piece is kind of interesting. Okay, that, that is pretty interesting. I mean, I love surveilling. I didn't realize you can exile from their graveyard, so that helps. My question for you, David, is like, what, what's the payoff for doing all this copying? Like, you, you turn a token into another creature temporarily. You're not going to get ETBs, so it needs to have, what, like an attack trigger? Or it just needs to deal a lot of damage? Or just be big. Like, so for instance, in a deck with Charming Prince, which triggers Kaya, you may want to play like the prototype creatures. Um, and so the prototype creatures are creatures that can come down cheaply, can be blinked by Charming Prince, but also if they die and they're in their graveyard, or if Charming Prince blinks them, they become a creature that's exiled. And then Kaya turns your Thraben Inspector token into, you know, a 7 5 menace lifelink creature, for instance. And um, Charming Prince also happens to work with Thraben Inspector. So I think there's just a lot of enough like little interesting synergies there that are. And then Thraben Inspector is a body that makes Kaya's minus two kind of interesting. Um, so I, I think there's just like enough there that I'm, I'm at least interested in, in playing around with. Ah, gosh. Well, it's hard enough for me to even understand what the card is doing. And then at the end of all that, when I see this costs four mana, I'm just kind of bummed out. It seems like for all the work we're doing to set this up, it should cost three or even two mana. Give me a prayer at least. Well, it's four mana to plus for a token. That's pretty rare. Like the four mana store and minuses to make a creature token. This this adds a creature every turn. 
a flying creature. I see. I see what you're saying. Hmm. What I don't know, you'll have to answer this question, Dan. When does it check what the creature is? So I've got a, I've got my um, whatever prototype creature in play and, and, a, and a clue token. I charming prince the creature and it goes to exile. Kaya looks at it in exile and then copies it onto my clue. What does it see? Does it see the the one one that was in play, or does it see the three three double strike that's on the front half of the card? I think it sees the front half. Pretty sure it sees the front half. All right. The trigger is when the card is into exile. So at that point, it's it's front face yep. is the only one that's relevant to the game. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Okay, that's all right. Now we're talking. <laughs> all right. Okay. If you can, if you if your clue can attack as a seven power lifelink menace creature with a powerful ward ability every turn, then that's pretty good. Eh, gosh. All right. All right. I look forward to seeing the results of this. <laughs> We're going to need an influx of tickets after this set. This is going to be punishing. <laughs> Some of these cards we were, were <laughs> promising to play with are super punishing. We move on from there. The new hero of magic, Kellen. This time, he's a detective. Detective Kellen, the inquisitive prodigy. Two green blue. Two green blue. Okay, new colors for Kellen. Legendary creature, human fairy detective. Three, four. Kellen, at least the gimmick seems to be that he gets an adventure every set. This time around, his adventure is Tail the Suspect. Green blue sorcery adventure. Investigate. You may play an additional land this turn. That's already pretty interesting. Like it's, it's kind of like a growth spiral or explorer. If if you like investigating better than drawing a card, like I do, then it's better than that. And that's just the adventure, right? Like you still end up getting Kellen's front half, his normal half, potentially the next turn because you you played an extra land, so now you're ramping for his four mana half which is a three four flying vigilance and whenever kellen inquisitive prodigy attacks destroy up to one target artifact if you controlled that permanent draw a card that's a neat little templating as well uh it's hate for their artifacts it, it's like a free cracking on your clues uh you just destroy the clue that you made attack and you it's almost like you cracked it i don't know if there's any other corner case uses for that I will say it's kind I mean I don't I don't know if we want to do this but that 5 mana artifact that when it is destroyed you get to take an extra turn and it exiles itself is actually kind of sweet on curve with Kellen. Oh, Ugin's Nexus. Ugin's Nexus, yeah. Oh boy. So you turn 3 Kellen, turn 4 Nexus, blow it up, draw a card. Seems pretty sweet honestly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what else plays in that space? Experimental Synth, uh, Icar Wellspring, uh, any other artifacts that profit from being destroyed? Mm. I see your note here about profiting off of Rampant and Galazeth. <laughs> so, again, a clue is better than drawing a card. I've been saying this for a while now. More evidence. Well, the nice thing with Galazeth is is you, if you get to play a turn three with two mana up, that's awesome. Um, and then Galazeth actually makes another artifact. So eventually, right, when you've exhausted all these things, Kellen has more 
fodder. Mm-hmm. The nice thing with the investigate too, with the with the explorer function, is it's not like growth spiral because you can play MDFCs that turn. So a lot of times in your like growth spiral deck, you can't like cheat your extra land slots by playing a bunch of MDFCs because growth spiral doesn't see them. It can't put them into play. This can. So the one negative about not being able to draw and investigating is you get one less crack at finding that third land on your third turn. But the fact that you can play MDFCs is actually kind of nice. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. All right. So yeah, sorcery growth spiral is even better than instant growth spiral. <laughs> as long as it has the templating we need. Yeah. I mean, the explore mechanic is, is good, right? Like we know that playing an extra land is powerful. They would never print normal explore into a standard set anymore. Um, so Okay, this doesn't actually draw you the card. As long as you can eventually get the card out of the clue, that's interesting. Kellen actually lines up really, really well against um, the Looter Scooter, right? It, it blocks it effortlessly. It's a 3-4 Vigilance flying, and it destroys it if it ever gets to attack. So if we imagine a world where there's a lot of scooters running around, then Kellen's actually great. You know, it, it replaces itself, so it's good against, like, red-black, you know, heavy removal decks. It blocks their most aggressive creature. There's a bunch of artifacts lying around in red-black. If it doesn't die, it eventually just, you know, generates a ton of value as long as your deck has uh, artifacts it can put into play. It is a reasonable blocker against spirits as well. It's a fine blocker against phoenix. So the question just becomes, like, how good is blue-white control going to be? <laughs> Indeed. All right, well, we look forward to more great things from Kellen in the future. Moving on. Massacre Girl, known killer. Two black, black, legendary creature, human assassin, 4 4 menace. Creatures you control have wither. Wither means that they deal damage in the form of minus one, minus one counters. That's weird. Whenever a creature an opponent control dies, if it's Toughness was less than one. Draw a card. Okay, so there's that interaction with Wither, right? Wither will cause it to die as a 0-0, as long as your creature dealt damage to it. Or if the creature was just naturally small. So we talked last last time about the hunted bone brute, you know, the 6-2 skeleton haste dog or whatever. Not haste. Uh, well, haste after we build the corpse of the lost deck. The 6-2 that, that brings two hounds to hunt it down. Now you can kill them for profit, right? Draw two cards. Yeah. Uh, and even if you're just like on normal curve, whatever, Graveyard Trespasser on three, they play their Graveyard Trespasser. You play Massacre Girl. If they trade off with you, then you get to draw a card, right? So they're basically forced to just let your creatures get through. Um, or So trading becomes a very bad deal for them. Also, Languish is a board wipe you can play. It gives minus four, minus four to all creatures in play. Unfortunately, it does kill Massacre Girl. Um, and if you're playing a lot mm. of creatures in your Massacre Girl deck, then that's unfortunate. But it is kind of cool that every creature that dies that way, like in some kind of creature mirror, you would, you know, if you cast Wrath of God and kill an equal number of creatures on each side, but you draw two or three cards, right? That that game is over. Um, the seven mana black enchantment that is also a adventure the front side is like one a black target creature gets minus three minus three and you gain two life so that's a pseudo playable card that also gives minus you know minus something minus something 
those are all good finds. None of them seem like they're actually going to, <laughs> to make it with Massacre Girl. Four is just too much mana for something speculative like this. But uh, it's it's neat design. We'll put it that way. I want there to be like a cheap version of this effect so that I can really get paid for giving my opponent 1-1s and 0-2s and stuff. Or 0-1s, I should say. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like too many steps here. Yeah. What's next? All right, Krenzo's Buzz Crusher. Krenzo's Buzz Crusher is two red red for an insect thopter 4-4 flying trample with additional text <laughs> because we live in the, this terrible year of our Lord 2024. When it enters the battlefield, for each player, destroy up to one non-basic land that player controls. For each land destroyed this way, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. So this is a um, demolition field effect, but the thing I did not realize at first is it's you don't have to target any land of your own if you don't want. And two, it doesn't target at all. So this card is incredible against Lotus Field. Um, by itself, this might actually invalidate the, the archetype if this is just a card that people can play in their mid-range decks. I mean, this card is so good against Lotus Field, it's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. Hexproof just doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> what happened here? I guess four mana makes it potentially not even fast enough. So that, that is a concern. Is it's not like a... Well, first of all, it's not a permanent hate piece. So it's not like you've won the game. You've destroyed their first Lotus Field. They have many ways to get additional Lotus Fields. They can even play that uh, that cave from last set, Echoing Deeps or whatever, if, they, if they're really afraid of Krenko's Buzz Crushers. Or the Aftermath Analyst we were talking about a couple shows ago. Potentially a way to like find your Lotus Field slash get back the ones that have been buzzed. That being said, very sweet design. Um, surprising design. I did not realize at first, yeah, that it could hit hexproof lands. Did not realize that you don't have to destroy your own land. Although I'm, I'm curious if we can actually profit off that in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how, but if you can find a way, it's, it's all upside. I think you could just build a deck with four of these as your four drop. Like... You can play a bunch of the indestructible land and then the one in a red sorcery destroy target non-basic or destroy the target land and find a basic land. So it's a ramp spell for you. But in the mid to late game, your four buzz crushers plus four of those plus maybe a couple demolition field like effects. Like you actually put a ton of pressure on their lands. And this card is just aggressive. Like if you're playing this turn three on the play because you ramped, it's a four, four flying trample creature, right? That's like <laughs> hunting your opponent down. It also puts land into play tapped, which matters. So when you blow up their land, they don't get to push mm. uh, your buzz crusher that turn. Does this work the way that we want it to with indestructible lands? Or does that not count as a No, it land? has to destroy it. No, it doesn't destroy it. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> All right. All right. Nevertheless, pretty good. Pretty good. Nice addition. I don't think it's going to have as dramatic an effect on the Lotus Field metagame as you're suggesting but it's nice that at least red decks get an option now i will be building a deck around this this is one of the decks i'm excited to play like just turn three this is going to be awesome against so many so many decks 
Like, you like cards that do this, but don't do anything yeah. else. You just want it to be, like, a random land that does it. Like, this comes into play and messes with their lands and puts pressure on their lands. But also, like, threatens Planeswalkers and blocks. You could play a deck that blinks this card or resurrects this card. Like, just, like, having this effect on a 4-4 body is very interesting to me. Okay, so you're actually going to do the Dire Strain Rampage, Sunken Citadel, Field of Ruin thing, Assassin's Trophy which was also reprinted. I don't know if I'm going to add Assassin's Trophy or some of those other cards, but like this card is replacing those terrible cards with a 4-4 Flying Trample that just has this effect staple to it. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Okay, next up, Ill-Timed Explosion. Two blue-red sorcery. Draw two cards. Then you may discard two cards. When you do, Ill-Timed Explosion deals X damage to each creature, where X is the highest mana value among the discarded cards. So this is modal in a couple ways. First of all, you can just draw two cards and then stop. You don't have to do the rest of the card. And in that case, it's a terrible divination, but maybe that's what you need. If you do decide to discard, you have to discard two. It's not like discard one or two. So then you are just getting essentially a four mana a sweeper, I guess. Is, it, is this fair to call this a sweeper? Yeah, big time. Depending on what you discard, of course. Um, I guess you'd need to have something CMC. What, four, five, six to be safe? Yeah, I mean, I'd be looking at playing some pretty expensive cards. Like, I, this, is a, this is a card I would want to play with Barb Servitor. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's relatively easy. You can play the, um, uh, I'll look it up, but there's expensive cards that you can play that are like reasonably playable against control. Normally your sweepers are terrible. This is just a four mana draw to, right? It's not great, but it's better than Supreme Verdict is against control in game one. Uh, so their Supreme Verdicts they draw are very bad. Your Supreme Verdict is, you know, <laughs> bad, but not embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Those are interesting uses. For me, it's like too conditional to be relied upon as a sweeper and too clunky to be used as a card filtering or selection effect. I feel like it's a miss. Like I, I just feel like the added deck building constraint of having to find a really expensive card to discard that I actually want to play makes it just like one, one step too many for me. But it's a nice design. Yeah, I don't think you want to just use it as like a fair sweeper card. Like this isn't just like a blue-red control deck plays this instead of Supreme Verdict. Hmm. I think you need to want to be doing something like the Barb Servitor deal. Or like play Riel or something. Hmm. All right, this next one here is very interesting, David. The card I was trying to think of is Commit to Memory. Oh, oh, okay. That's nice. So if you like Barb Servitor on three and then cast this and do 10 to everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like That's true. It's interesting. I like that. All right, David, this next one here is, is very cool. Tell me about the chalk outline. Chalk outline, three in a green. Whenever one or more creatures leave your graveyard, cr creature cards, leave your graveyard, create a 2-2 two, two white and blue detective creature token, then investigate. So every time a creature leaves your graveyard with this in play, you get a 2-2 creature and a clue. Um, I think it's just like a fair card for the grinding matchups. This is too slow, but I have an infinite combo outlined here. So 
If we have a free discard outlet like News Constrictor, which is, happens to be in the same color, and we have an oval chase daredevil either in our graveyard or in our hand, I guess, because News Constrictor can put it in our graveyard, all we need is an additional artifact to start the cycle, and we get infinite investigate and infinite 2-2 detectives. So let's say we have oval chase daredevil in our graveyard and we play gilded goose as an example. Uh, food enters play, triggering oval chase daredevil. Oval chase daredevil goes to our hand and then chalk outline triggers. Before that trigger resolves, we discard oval chase daredevil. The chalk outline trigger resolves and we get a 2-2 detective and a clue. The clue triggers oval chase daredevil. Um, it goes to our hand. We discard it to news constrictor. Chalk outline triggers, uh, etc. So you just you just have to control. Unfortunately, you have to hold it down control the whole time, so that you um, are always responding to the last chalk outline trigger because you need the oval chase devil in your graveyard to trigger chalk outline again. Oh, I didn't even think about the timing, but it works though, and that's super slick line. It's almost like a it's like a triple yes. kill because the news constrictor is also lethal at that point. So they they have to first not die to the news constrictor. Okay, they push it. <laughs> now you have infinite detectives coming next turn. Well, if they can push it, I assume they disrupted the combo. But <laughs> no, no, I think they wait and see. You know, <laughs> it's a point taken, point taken. Um, all right, let's say they they chump log. The important thing though is. The important thing is if you just have News Constrictor around, it means you have Oval Chase Daredevils in your graveyard, which is always where you want them. And then as soon as you get a Chalk Outline in play, you just get to, or excuse me, yeah, as soon as you get Chalk Outline in play, okay, you don't have the News Constrictor for the combo, but you play your Gilded Goose again or whatever. That's just triggering out Chalk Outline, right? So you just, you get to play a grindy game in the, in the, in the middle of all that. So I play my my um, Gilded Goose, and I get a clue, and I get a 2-2 detective. So my detective gets to chump, my clue gets to draw, my goose can make an artifact every turn, right, if if Daredevil goes to the graveyard. Um, so I actually, actually, I'm kind of, in, I'm, I'm, you can tell, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this deck. I, I don't exactly know what all the cards will be. I mean, maybe it'll be black-green, just so we have Thought Season push. Um, obviously, with all these clues, push is going to be quite good in this deck. Um, do we want to play that like black green um, planeswalker that also removes cards from your graveyard and helps us find the news constrictor and maybe can put Oval Chase Daredevil in the graveyard? You know, there's there's lots of options. So this is like the third time we've I've said this this set, but seems great with the cat oven. I mean, yeah, it's such a weird trigger condition, right? Whenever a creature leaves your graveyard, but we saw that on Reenact Crime, we see that on Insidious Roots. If we can find a good engine that doesn't require collecting evidence, because I think collecting evidence is not realistic. Yeah, you know, graveyard trespasser, hearse, a cat oven. Is this just like a fair use of this card? Is that at all possible? I think the problem there, and I was thinking about this with the roots one as well. Like you need to have a ton of creatures, you have to have a bunch of looting effects, then a bunch of cards that remove stuff from your graveyard. So I actually think you can't play the roots card with this chalk outline. They're both gonna probably have to play the three mana black green planeswalker um and then just a ton of creatures at least this one the the deck i'm proposing doesn't actually require that many because the old chase daredevil maybe can be its own thing so what you're actually looking for is just like creatures that make artifacts uh that can natively trigger chalk outline so maybe we end up playing with um tireless tracker again which also benefits from all these extra clues being in play mm. 
another thing you could try is the blue green dude we just talked about right if you're just making a ton of clues he gets to blow him up for free he gets to he rams to the chalk outline um his first ability puts a clue into play to start the the trigger i mean it seems super sweet i like going from graveyard to hand like oval chase or similar effects like that he's on from the graveyard also makes sense jumping back into play is interesting it's a cool space to explore, um, whether that's for the chalk outline or the insidious roots, maybe just the chalk outline. I mean, I'm wondering if even like the modern Academy manufacturer cookbook package would just like want a couple copies of this. It's like, pretty good there, even without like a combo per se. Yeah, I don't know. It's a fun card for sure. Uh, a lot more dangerous than I initially realized. Yeah, and we'll kind of have to like play around with the shell to like figure out what we're doing. All right, I see you have a note here about Buried in the Garden. Do you want to talk about that card? I do. I People kind of just dismiss this card. So this is an O-Ring plus Fertile Ground combination. Two a green and a white, enchant any land. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent you don't control until it leaves the battlefield. And then whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. This compares very favorably to Binding of the Old Gods. And Binding of the Old Gods for a while was actually pretty good in Pioneer. So if you just think of it as a removal spell that takes you to six mana um, a turn early, that's already something I'm at least interested in thinking about. It also fixes. Um, it's, a, it's a hittable thing for Niv-Mizzet, if that's the way we want to go, and it helps you cast it very, very easily. So yeah, I, I don't think this card is like broken or anything, but it's, to me it's way better than Binding of the Old Gods. Okay, I was super confused by your comments, and I, I realized that I've misread the card i thought this was like imprisoned to the moon where it turns the thing you exiled into a land but that's not what it does so it enchants your own land and then in addition to that just like your land has buried their creature in it yeah it's like a chain to the rocks that can target anything but then it also functions as a fertile ground so for people who are old like me that means the land taps for an extra mana of any color gotcha Okay. So you, whatever, bury garden your forest on turn three. Okay, you, you Sylvan carry added, then you bury garden your forest on turn three. So you exile there, whatever, shielded. And then the next one you have six mana of any, basically of any color. You're just asking to get Krenko's Buzz Crushed at that point, though. It's too risky in, in the new era of... Well, you can, you can enchant a basic land. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> A removal spell that on curve ramps you and fixes you is at least always worth thinking about. Like this just takes you to six mana and takes away all the pressure that a ramp deck would normally experience. Hmm. Okay. I'll give it a closer look now. Yeah, you make compelling points. Next up, Vanifar Evolved Enigma. Two, green, blue, legendary creature, elf, ooze, wizard, three, four. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose one. Cloak a card from your hand. Or put a plus one, plus one counter on each colorless creature you control. Cloaking cards should be good, but they usually have set it up so that like you're cloaking off the top of your deck or the cloak is essentially like a, a card up. This is not quite that, right? Cloaking a card from your hand is card neutral. It's, it's even potentially downgrading your card, like taking it from a card you wanted to cast. <laughs> now it is just a 2-2 two, two, ward 2. Where it gets interesting, however, is if you're actually trying to control what you cloak if you have 
you know, something that can sneakily get around the uncloaking costs. Like, uh, I guess Croxo would be an example of that. Um, then it's like cheating on mana, but again, not really cheating on cards per se. I don't really know what to make of this, David. I don't. Yeah, I don't particularly like this. It's like a show and tell with a bunch of extra steps to me, or it's kind of interesting that it puts plus one, plus one counters on colorless creatures. And there are colorless creatures that really like getting plus one, plus one counters. Um, the thing that taps to add a plus one, plus one counter to itself every turn. And then when it dies, it makes stopters equal to the number of plus one, plus one counters as an example. Um, or like, I mean, it's too expensive for scales like in modern, but it'd be like super cool there. If you, if you ever got it into play, just pump all your artifacts every turn. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so you have to like, again, you play your Emrakul or whatever, and then you need to blink your ward creature. It just seems like too much. And this has to live to combat. It doesn't do it automatically. Like there's a number of times where they just kill it in your first main phase. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to try doing this. I hear what you're saying that maybe the cloaking part is a distraction. And maybe you're saying we should just think of this as pumping all my artifact creatures every turn, like a super luminarch aspirant. But yeah, I think if I want to do the cloak thing, I would turn to this next card first. Yeah, totally agree. I think the next card is way better than this. I I don't think it's close. All right. So it's Esconderse a Plena Vista, hidden in plain sight. Three and a green. Sorcery. I believe a Conjurer was a sorcery, right? Yeah, sorcery. Yes. Look at the top five cards of your library. Cloak two of those cards. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. That's it. You may be having collected company traumatic flashbacks and like trying to calculate numbers. How many do I need? Great news. You can cloak anything. Cloaked company? <laughs> Cloaked company, yeah. <laughs> you can cloak anything. Lands are fine. They just become two twos. So you're, you're absolutely going to get your two cloaked cards out of this. Now to make that worth it, uh, hopefully you're finding something juicy among the cloaked cards. And there, there's two ways to take advantage of it. One is dig deep, find your Phyrexian dreadnoughts and, you know, do some slick thing with uncloaking. But the second is to just play uh, disguise cards in your deck, right? The, the main thing that makes disguise cards weak is that it's a really inefficient use of mana to pay three to play it face down. What you get from uncloaking it or un- unmorphing it is actually quite good. So if I'm able to like essentially save mana and go card up by casting hidden in plain sight and finding like two disguised creatures and then their disguise or their unmorph cost is pretty cheap, um, I got a great deal. Yeah, what those creatures are is kind of unknown to me right now. It's unfortunate that this costs the exact same as sort of the face-down lord, the Yaris, right? So you don't want too many fours in your deck, but if you played Yaris first and somehow it didn't die, you'd get to do this, and then they would both get haste, and they would both get to draw cards. Um, If they damage your opponent, or they would come back into play with Yaris's ability. So Yaris plays very well with this card. They just unfortunately both cost four. Um... I love the idea of just playing blink effects with this, uh, you know, a charming prince kind of thing. And just, th- this is just a natural car- card that even if you miss your, your big boom booms, you still get creatures or whatever, some kind of permanence in play. Um, you can even hit lands if you blink them and it turns into a ramp spell. So I, I'm interested in, the, in that kind of a, a construction as well. 
Okay, so cheating on Cloak in, in another way, like not even having to pay mana to uncloak, just getting it face down, blinking it so it comes back face up. Yeah. And there's a bunch of like playable-ish cards you can do that with. There's Charming Prince, there's the three mana angel that bounces a permanent, I think a creature or artifact of yours. There's the three mana enchantment um, that channels for a one and a white to blink a creature that you control. There's the white, there's, excuse me, there's the four mana, four, four flying vigilant ward one creature that has an adventure, one white blink, <laughs> uh, any creature in play. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Surprising amount of depth for such a simple effect. Yeah. Also, this never misses. Like, I hate Collected Company. That card sucks. <laughs> I, I don't like having it in my decks. I don't think it's playable in any format. This card may also not be playable in any format, but you could imagine situations where it's good. Collected Company is always bad. I mean, if this were an instant, it would be insane. But sorcery, it's it's fair. Oh yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. All right. Up next. Leyline of the Guild Pact, Enchantment, it has a Leyline Clause, so if Leyline of the Guild Pact is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. The effects are as follows. Each non-land permanent you control is all colors, and lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Those are both pretty crappy, meaningless effects. <laughs> I think the only interesting part about this card is the mana cost. It's like a five-color hybrid. So it's hybrid green-white, hybrid green-blue, hybrid green-black, hybrid green-red. That means it counts for four green devotion pips, one white devotion, one blue devotion, one black. Um, the CMC is four. So put it into play. You've got four devotion for your Nick, though, so I think that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, it's good with Nykthos. I guess there is a case that... Uh, solves when you have a permanent of all the colors. So if you play this on turn zero, then when the, I think it's a two mana colorless case, you go fetch a land, then it's solved already. Then it, that's actually kind of powerful because it gives your creatures, I think like double strike flying and trample or something every mm. upkeep. But yeah, I, I hate ley lines. I think ley line is like terrible space. I shouldn't be exploring it. This is the ultimate example of like a card that's really good if you have the exact not draw. Otherwise, it does nothing. So if you lose it, it feels bad. If your opponent draws it at any other point other than their opening seven, they feel bad. Like someone just always feels terrible. Agreed. But just thinking about from, from a cutthroat tournament perspective, given that this exists, how does it stack up to Leyline of Abundance, which is banned in Pioneer? It's significantly worse. I mean, it's not even close. In it's, what way? I, don't know, I can't do the math. 50 times worse? 100 <laughs> times worse? <laughs> because it has no text, essentially? Like, where you, you feel like Leyline of Abundance, at least? Yes, it has no It has no text. The Nykthos decks don't need the other colors, so the other things that it does don't, don't do anything, right? It just is there with Nykthos. The, the other thing worked with all of the mana creatures that we were playing, right? There was eight elves. Some of the decks were even playing, like, two Sylvan Carry added. And then it had additional text, so it was also a mana sink that could pump up all your creatures. I see. Okay, so I'm guessing you will not be building any decks with this. I will not put this in a deck ever, and if I ever lose to it, I'm going to rage incoherently in our chats. 
Isn't the, the new hotness, right? Turn zero, Leyline, turn one elf, turn two, Archdruid's charm, get the Nykthos. How much mana do you have? You have five devotion already. And it's, you're untapping on turn three I with just... five devotion. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, hey, put two of them in play. What's the difference? <laughs> exactly. I hope that opponent gets hit by the new mana leak and just pisses and moans about it. That's all I want. Can't believe my one useful card that I actually cast got mana leaked. No, I can't do anything. All right, now we move on to the unplayables, the five and above. It's interesting cards here. I'll let you decide, David, which of these cards is worthy of discussion. I think we can talk at least about Ezrum, Agency Chief. So it is, or he is, uh, one white, white, blue, blue, five, five flying. When it enters the battlefield, investigate twice and then sacrifice an artifact and it gains either vigilance, lifelink, hexproof until end of turn for a colorless. So it's kind of interesting. Pat Sullivan used to talk about how there's two kinds of cards, Bane Slayers and Mole Drifters. So, you know, Mole Drifter is a creature that functions kind of as a spell, right? When it comes into play, it gives you some kind of value. It blows up a artifact or enchantment. It draws cards in the case of Mole Drifter. Necrotal, right? These are examples. Flame Tongue Kabu. And then Bane Slayers are cards that are just like a ton of power and toughness at their rates. And if you don't kill them immediately, then, um, you know, they can take over a game. And so he often said that the Baneslayer-like card leads to a lot of different experiences because sometimes you kill it right away and, you know, with a Doomblade and it's not very good. And sometimes you don't have the Doomblade and it wins. Shieldred is sort of the only modern card that we play that even is, is like that at all. Um, and, and it is exactly like that, right? Sometimes you can't kill a shieldred even though you're way ahead and it wins by itself. And sometimes it just dies immediately. It doesn't do anything. It's actually the worst card in these really grindy interactive matchups. Ezrum is both. Ezrum is a card that dominates if you don't have removal for it, but also like generates a bunch of value. So if it comes in and you can you, you can cast Wrath of God, um, it just drew two cards. I mean, not, it's not quite as good as Moldrifter, but like it does it all. So I, I just like, this is where we are in magic. <laughs> This is a Muldrifter that's also a Bane Slayer somehow. <laughs> and I feel like it's also stone unplayable, like despite being all that. I, I just don't see this card doing it. I think where I disagree with your analysis is I don't think this card dominates once it's in play. I think it's just a Colossipede. And I don't quite see how it turns the corner. Or it doesn't really pressure them either. Um, like it doesn't have native lifelink, so it's not actually moving the needle on... It's not putting you ahead by being around. You can consume your clues to gain some life, but like, does that actually win? Yeah, hard hard to say there. I'm I'm imagining the deck that you'd play it in actually probably has like like mana rocks or something that gets you up to this five point faster, and then the mana rocks like turn themselves into five life or vigilance or something. But I guess we don't actually have colored mana rocks in Pioneer, so. Only a three mana mana rock would do that. I mean, if this card is bad, we probably just shouldn't play five drops. Like, this card is seems really powerful to me. Well, it's like not properly a five drop. Like, you, you tap out for it, and it, it's not active yet, right? It's not protected that turn. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, that, okay, if they kill it, I'm, I'm up two clues. But, uh, I don't know. I'm just worried that I'm going to play it, feel really good, and they're just going to kill me while I'm like four attacks away from actually doing anything with this. 
The one thing worth noting is this doesn't fit in any shell right now. That's the big thing. So blue-white control is going to be a very good deck, and it does often have sort of jukes in the sideboard to have a bunch of creatures, right? Either the, the cats, the 5-mana 3-3 three, three that makes two 1-1s. One, I played against ones that bring in Brahmas. Sometimes they have a one-of of the 3-5 Sphinx that can uh, discard a card to make itself un uh, untargetable and it taps itself. So this goes more in like a blue-white like tap-out control, which doesn't really exist, or like a mid-range shell. Those decks don't exist in Pioneer right now. And if But if they did, I think this card would be fine. And I, I don't know what that deck would be. And <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Yeah. All right, all right. I hear you. Next up, Intrude on the Mind, three blue-blue instant. Reveal the top five cards of your library, separate them into two piles, an opponent chooses the piles. Opponent's choice. That pile goes to your hand, the other one into your graveyard. However, you then get to create a Thopter token with flying with plus one plus one counters on it for each card put into your graveyard this way. And somewhat confusingly, the Thopter starts as a zero zero, which is unusual for Thopters. From my perspective, once the opponent gets a choice, you just can't play this. Like there's no playable version of this where the opponent gets a choice. I think it would it would have been fairer to give you the choice. It's like five minutes is like a lot. Like why did they give you the choice? Yeah, this is one of those cards that I think we won't know how playable it is until we actually play it. Now we had Steam Augury, right? Which turned out to be I think it's a very occasional play in standard. Nobody considers it in Pioneer. This is one more mana for exactly Steam Augury's effect. We just get a creature staple to it. So let me just throw out some splits at you, Dan. Alright. We cast this on their end step or in combat. Yes. My pile is split into my best card of my top five and four of the other cards. Okay. So if we made, if we, if I told you that I was casting a five mana four, four that drew the best card of my top five or a five mana one, one that drew four mediocre -ish cards at instant speed, that, that's like, that seems close to playable, right? Obviously you get to pick whichever one seems better at the time. That's not doing anything for you, especially if the body matters. So maybe they don't want to give you your best card, but they can't give you a four, four. <sighs> I kind of agree with you. I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Like I'm just imagining that split. Prophetic bolts, right? This card used to be a rare back in the day. Some effect plus the best card, your top four. That effect is just like yesterday's news, right? It's not actually that good anymore. So <laughs> I don't know. It's true. I, I just don't know. Um, it's mythic, so I mean, they, there must be something going on here. And the cards do end up in your graveyard, which is pretty good, actually. So yeah, maybe it's actually doing enough. Yeah, like, maybe the split is like, dig through time and then four other cards. Yeah, okay. I'll say this. I'll say this. The, the thing that might hold this back is not that the card is bad. It might be the, like, control finisher in standard, let's say. It might be good enough for that. But we have like Shark Typhoon and five mana Teferi, right? Which immediately gives you two mana at least back, if not more. So I think those are just the finishers that blue-white control is going to play. And it's really hard to imagine them printing a better card than that into standard, uh, even at Mythic Rare, for a while. So Intrude on the Mind might actually be pretty good. It might just be worse than five mana Teferi, right? That, so there's a lot of room to be not quite as good as five mana Teferi. Um, and, you know still pretty good card <laughs> and it might just be in that space right the, the very broad space between 
playable and not quite as good as Teferi. So the deck that would want it is Blue-White Control, but Blue-White Control already kind of has its finisher slots. You know, Shark Typhoon is uncounterable. It's great against Phoenix. It's great in the um, Control Mirror. And then 5-Minute Teferi is just great, you know, in a bunch of other mid-range matchups, etc. Gosh. It seems like you'd want a deck that fills the graveyard for profit, which is not exactly what Blue-White does. But all the scenarios to come up with, it's like, damn, the opponent chooses, so... It's not going to be that bad for them. All right, we'll see. What's next? Um, Judith, Carnage Connoisseur. Three, a black and a red for a three, four human shaman legendary, of course. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one. That smell gains death touch and lifelink, or you make a two, two red imp creature token with when this creature dies, it deals two damage to each opponent. So a whole new creature token just for this card. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I will say this card into End the Festivities is awesome, but it just sucks that you have a five drop that needs another spell to do something. So I think, again, to your point, this is just going to be too expensive, even though, of course, you can imagine the scenarios where it dominates in mid-range matchups. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it's like that much better than Talran Sky Summoner. So I'm probably not going to be looking too hard at Judith decks. All right, are there any other fives that you want to talk about there is a new niv mizzet in the set we both hate it so uh, we're not going to discuss it <laughs> within the niv mizzet space i think the new tulsimir is like the closest to playable for some reason tulsimir and voja both got separate cards but the tulsimir that they did print does create a different voja token so this this tulsimir is two green white white for a three two lifelink so five bad three two lifelink that's not good but it creates a 5-5 Voja Fenstalker token. So on total stats, it's two bodies, 5-5, 3-2 lifelink. And then whenever a wolf you control attacks, if Tulsimir also attacked, you can have an opponent must block the wolf. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess as I say all that, it's just worse than the original Tulsimir because it doesn't stabilize. It doesn't immediately clean up the board. Yeah, the original Tulsimir sees play as a one-of in the Enigmatic decks, and this, I think, just does it exactly like you're saying. Even, especially with um, Mom doubling effects, getting the two wolves from the older Tulsimir and they each gain extra life is just so good uh, to stabilize, whereas this doesn't really do that. Yeah, all right. All right, so a miss on both Tulsimir and the actual Voja. We move on. In the six drops, what do we like here? The only six drop that I think really has a chance is Vein Ripper. So Vein Ripper is three black, 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 vampire, vampire, assassin, six, five flying. It has a very unique ward, which is sacrifice a creature. And it says whenever a creature dies, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So to Doomblade or Vein Ripper, they have to sacrifice a creature. So it always gets that card back. Sacrificing that creature causes our opponent to lose two life and us to gain two life. And then when Vayne Ripper dies, it sees itself. So it always gives you that card back and then probably is a four life drain. So it doesn't have a come into play ability, but they've like very ingeniously designed a way for this card to generate value, uh, unless specifically against Wrath of God. Six mana is a million. So you, you kind of have to cheat this in. If you're cheating it in, I, I just, I'm looking for the part of the Vayne Ripper that draws cards and it doesn't actually do that. So... For me, that's just like not doing enough for like a high cost creature. Well, but I mean, this 
is succeeds the Soren check. I mean, this is one of the best things for Soren to put in play. It's so hard to outvalue this card in mid-range matchups. But that's what I mean. Like the Soren check, doesn't Soren have a bunch of vampires he can put in that actually like win the game, that actually like puts you way ahead? And I, I just don't think Vayne Ripper actually does that. I mean, I mean, does he? No one's playing Soren. <laughs> what what are they? We we like that five four that was going to resurrect. Nobody has five would with that card. I mean, I don't know the reason for this, but I just don't think this card is it. <laughs> so <laughs> this looks like an aristocrat style card or something. I, I don't know. It looks like a bulk mythic for commander. I just. Yeah, just imagine Soren the next turn sacks a vampire. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Uh, quickly finishing out the high drops. Conspiracy Unraveler, five blue blue. So seven mana for a six, six flying Sphinx detective. You may collect evidence 10 rather than pay the mana cost for spells that you cast. Very cool line of text, you know, reminds us of omniscience. Collect evidence 10 is quite a lot, so it's not broken by any stretch. Seven mana is also a lot. Um, probably just too much work to do anything with this, but is there something I'm missing here? Is there some sweet combo? I couldn't find it. I do think it's worth pointing out that in theory, you're going to cast one spell that's very expensive that gets you most of the way to your next collect evidence 10. <laughs> <laughs> so you need a series of like 10 mana spells. Um, hopefully that draw. I don't, I don't know. Like we'd have to actually do a search for like 10 mana spells in the format. There aren't that many. I mean, commit to memory, the one you mentioned that fuels one thing, although the memory then erases the graveyard while fully in your hand. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Um, it feels like there's something there. It's it's The Twitterverse is pretty ingenious. They'll have an outline of what it might be at some point. All right, we got a couple of split cards. Cease and Assist. So the Cease is one hybrid green-black. So a two-mana instant. Exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard target player gains two life and draws a card. Desist for green, white, green, white. That's hybrid. So destroy artifacts and enchantments. We're basically looking at the cease half and it's like, okay. It's not enough of like a dedicated hate piece that I would actually play it for that reason, but it's a playable main deck card. If that matters. True. It does pump up, um, gather the evidence. Yeah. If we really wanted to gather eight evidence for some reason. True. You know, it works with Cascade or Discover. If, you know, if Geological Appraiser were not banned, this would be an interesting card for that deck. Uh, same with the rest of this cycle. But I'm not planning to do much with this personally. I don't expect it to see a lot of play. No, I, I'm not either. It's, it's, it's a really interesting design. I like that you don't actually have to play one of the three colors like you as long as you're playing green you can just play this card it's like an instant speed exile for mm -hmm. green uh, or like a green whitelist you don't you don't even need to play black necessarily or you don't need to play white so that's kind of cool yeah i mean i've often been looking at the split cards like discovery dispersal for various reasons you know for karuga or cascade um, for a while it was like trying to find stuff for the calibrated blast deck Maybe now it's going to be for that sweeper where you check the CNC of what you discard. And this is like maybe one of the better options for that. It's just like not inherently exciting. So just a tool to be aware of. 
And last but not least, a card that I actually do think is pretty sweet. The Pride of Hullclade. 10 and a green legendary creature, Crocodile Elk Turtle. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total toughness of creatures you control. Total toughness. So this is this is not the Galta text, right? Like you can split this up. Right. Yep, it's total yeah. toughness. So total toughness is actually kind of doable. Maximum cost reduction will be 10. So if you have like a 06 and an 04 or two 05s, you're getting your Pride of Hullclade for just one mana. And what do you get for that? Well, you get a 215 Defender creature, two power, 15 toughness with Defender. Activated ability, two blue blue. Until end of turn, target creature you control gets plus one plus O, gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw cards equal to its toughness, and can attack as though it didn't have Defender. So it's playing in that toughness matters space. Weirdly, it actually does not deal damage equal to its toughness. Even when you activated it, it just deals three damage. Um, although you will draw 15. You'll draw 15 <laughs> cards, though. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I mean, maybe you're playing, just naturally playing the other stuff, like uh, Assault Formation or the O2 Backup Guy. I mean, I, I want this style of deck to be something. I think clearly Wizards wants it to work, too. They keep giving us new stuff, and this is the weirdest new entrant in the category. It's got to be pretty good, right? Um... Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I know for a while there was like an Arcades Bant shell in Modern. I think um, mm -hmm. Gabriel Nassif played it to a couple five O's, And so, you know, that deck is playing Wall of Omens and Wall of Roots. Something like that, yeah. Whatever the O4 Cantropy ones are in both colors, yeah. So with two of those in play, then this is kind of on curve, right? You Then you play this for three... Um, and then you play Arcades and you can attack with all these creatures and you gain or you draw <laughs> possibly 30 cards or something. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't gain that ability unless you pay. I mean, having to pay the mana is what sucks. Like, that's why Arcades is so good with the walls. It just comes in, doesn't require anything extra from them, and they just start getting busy. I just, I, I don't like this card. No. It draws for Arcades, right? Like, having to pay four mana before it does anything is is pretty bad to me. Well, no, because you're also going to be playing, you know, your door in the Siege Tower or, um, what's the new one? Meandering. No, not Meandering. The 06, the Turtle. Oh, the Turtle. Yeah. The 06, yeah. Belligerent Tortoise, that's it. I just hate that you don't get anything out of this when it comes into play. Like, the turn you play, unless you have two blue-blue up... It's just a big creature. Well, you get a 15 toughness. I mean, maybe you just are supposed to play uh, like a life legacy or something. Does that work? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this seems like an EDH card to me. Uh, may, maybe there's enough planted in, you know, one of the formats where this could go in a deck, but I, I guess I'm not seeing it. And I'm not particularly interested in exploring it, but maybe someone else will. Oh, life legacy is power. God damn it. What the hell? What is the toughness matter stuff? Kintry Invocation. Kintry Invocation. There you go. Ah, I don't know. All right, it's fine. Fine. It's like too many steps away. It looks sweet, though. 
All right, David. Well, I think we made it through the entire set in just three installments. It was almost too easy. <laughs> exactly. Help us like sort through a big picture. Which of these cards actually matter? Which ones are you actually excited about? In competitive pioneer, I think Archdruid's charm and no more lies stand out to me like as super, super powerful. Um, and then maybe deduce in transmogrify type of shells as like a, a distant third. Um, those are the three cards. If you're if you're just like putting the proverbial water pistol to my head, no more lies is by far the most powerful card in the in the in this set, I think. And then Archdruid's charm is next, and then deduce is like a distant third. And that's for Pioneer specifically. For Pioneer specifically, yes, exactly. For the others, I mean, I don't care about modern, and I don't care about standard, so I won't uh, speculate. I also have those as my top three. Deduce feels like it it could also fuel just like demure control right like the access to fatal push um revolts and just like being the cheapest thing twice ever uh and yeah i do think it will it will really be a huge boon to blue red creativity um not transmogrify per se it actually has to be creativity specifically and that's fine yeah well whatever i mean um, maybe even just like straight blue white control like <laughs> maybe it's just good enough so now you have deduce and no more lies, just two mana. Pick your poison. Um, pick your poison might also be a good card, <laughs> sideboard card for for modern. Yeah, Archer's Charm seems like a multi-format star, both a utility player and a build around. I also put on my list uh, Fugitive Codebreaker. That's the two-one prowess that you can morph into a Bedlam Reveler. I think it's the best two-drop. Um, for like the mono red slash prowess space and that we should just put four into those decks and see what happens um, and then build around as necessary and then finally i put breakout into my list of cards that will help existing decks i do think that that will at least at least in devoted druid be an upgrade that's worth exploring so somewhere between three to five cards that's for existing decks yeah i mean right <laughs> I guess the fun part of the set is always like which of these cards will inspire us to try to create something new around them so what do you have on your list for that um i don't know i don't think the set is actually very amenable to brewing right now but uh i think i want to fool around with like chalk outline and the uh Krenko's buzz crusher and like kellen inquisitive prodigy like Basically shells where you're topping out at different four drops than the ones we've been playing for a while. Um, I think reenact the crime will actually be super powerful as well, but I don't know that it's mm -hmm. going to survive like against blue white control specifically. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of four drops that are interesting. The, the quake mole, um, agris. So just like other mid range shells that are just going to be really bad against blue white control. Huh. Reenact the crime seems like it can absorb a lot of brewing energy. So whether that's actually good is a totally different question, but so much space to explore. I think that'd be a fun one to mess around with in terms of brewing targets that like might actually be functional. I think we have to go lower on the curve. Just like you're saying, these four drops will not make a dent in the new blue white metagame. But what about like gleaming your Drake, right? The, the one one for two that makes a clue and grows like maybe that's just the key to powering up that archetype uh, what about aftermath analysis analysis analyst the splendid wreck guy 
But that that one seems actually very very interesting, um, both as a supporting player and as a build around even. And I even think Drag the Canal, as kind of boring as that is, it's enough value that I'm curious to see what happens if you try to like build a deck around it, like really trying to trigger the Morbid. Yeah, I mean, those cards are, all seem pretty fun to me. Um, and, you know, a few of those cards might even have some synergy in Modern as well, so th- that should be interesting. Yeah, and just to finish out my list, I have cards that I would like to try once. <laughs> um and then determine that it's bad. So you sold me pretty hard on that War Leader's Call plus O'Hare Axanil deck. That's worth trying, I think. Um, there's probably a Crime Novelist combo that we could try. I think the Surveillance are super exciting. Now, when I'm saying that, remember that I'm talking about Enhanced Surveillance, so I'm not actually describing a real deck. It's also possible that the Surveillance will just be like huge for all formats. That should probably be on our list of like cards that actually uh, will be the legacy of this set. So I'd like to like see what the dedicated surveil deck does now that it has access to all these surveil dual lands. And then finally, you know, hidden in plain sight, if it can support some kind of cloak shenanigans. And for me, I was thinking like pyrotechnic performer and other cards that unmorph, but what David was saying today about blinking stuff, like that could also be fun. Yeah. I mean, as usual, we'll have to see. Do you know when the set comes out? I don't. I'm sorry. Do we, do we still have another week? Yeah. That sounds about right. So yeah, I'm trying to get some uh, games in before the format uh, becomes too blue-white centric. And then, yeah, we'll have to start uh, putting decks together with these new cards and see uh, see what we can make of them. This should be a good time. Um, <laughs> we're going to replenish the tickets soon, but all in the name of science. <laughs> all right, David, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thanks, as always. Yeah, we'll uh, have to uh, begin to solve the case. Exactly. Got a couple of crack detectives on the case. Uh, <laughs> and we will see you out in the queues. All right, take care.